Father and God, thank you for this morning and that amazing time of worship. God, I just pray, Lord, that you have been glorified. God, today is a day of celebration because of a risen Savior. Today is a day of celebration because you have given us victory over death, hell, and the grave. God, but as we look into your word, as we look at what you have to say to us, God, I pray that the uh, the correction that comes with looking at the mirror of your word, God, I pray that that would settle on our hearts deeply. As we begin to look at the resurrected Jesus and, and what he has called us to do as, as his followers, as his people, the things that, that he has said, that these are the things that you must do in order to glorify my Father which is in heaven, in order to, to be a disciple of Jesus, Lord, I pray that those things would settle heavy on our hearts. God, that you give us a greater desire uh, to share your gospel with people that have never heard it, to people that don't have a reason to celebrate Easter. God, besides uh, plastic Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would bring those people into our midst so that we might be able to share the good news of the gospel with them, and they might have a true reason to celebrate Easter. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you so much for this time of worship that we've had. God, be glorified now as we worship you through the reading and teaching of your word. In Jesus' holy, precious name I do pray. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been studying the past few weeks, and even this morning, we had a service at 8.30 this morning. We asked the question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. It said that Jesus came to a region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they answered and said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he says, but who do you say that I am? And that is the question that each and every one of us are going to be faced with one day. The one day, whether, whether Jesus comes here or you go there, you're going to be faced with the question, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a man with some good teaching? Is he just a man who said some great things and did some wonderful miracles? Or is he personal and is he a savior to you in your life? And that's the question you'll be asked one day when you're standing face to face with him one day. And, and you're having to give an account for your life and you're having to give an account for whether or not Jesus Christ was Lord in your life or not. And, you know, people a lot of times on Easter will kind of I don't know, I won't say sugarcoat things, or they won't, uh, they'll kind of make it a little bit sweeter, uh, because it is a day of celebration, and I absolutely agree with that, and we'll be able to celebrate life, but before you can celebrate life, you have to be able to recognize death, and some of us need to recognize the fact that the wages of our sin is indeed death. That what we are justly do because of our sin, because of the way that we live, because of the flesh that we exist in, the wages of our sin is death. And until you recognize that, until you come to the, the startling reality of that, which shakes you to your core, you cannot begin to celebrate the resurrection that exists when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you can see that he has, uh, he, he has power over death, hell, and the grave. And because of him, you can have eternal life with God in his place called heaven. You cannot celebrate life without recognizing death first. And today, as we look at the question, who do you say that I am, my prayer is that your answer to that question is exactly what Peter's answer was. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
And as we baptized John just a few minutes ago, that was one of the very first questions I asked him. Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God? Because that is critical for us to be able to put our faith and trust in this this man called Jesus who died and paid the penalty for your sin. You've got to understand that he was the son of God. And if you you miss that, then you miss everything. And I think there's some people that, that, yeah, they, they say that. They say that, yes, indeed, I believe he's the son of the living God, but... My question to you is, is that what you say in your heart? Do you recognize who Jesus is to you? And do you recognize the God of creation put Jesus on this earth for the sole purpose of dying for you and paying the penalty for your sin? We talked about, uh, at the 830 service, we talked about the fact that, that, that Jesus is either one of three things to people. People that have their response to Jesus in one of three ways. They're either indifferent to him Meaning that Jesus has no place in their life. Jesus has no consequence on them. They don't really care so much about Jesus and who he is and what he does. And some of those people will have Easter, uh, the, the central uh, prominent place of Easter in their life will all be about Easter bunnies and eggs and boiled eggs and dying eggs and all that kind of stuff. But if Jesus Christ is central in your life, then, then he will be king in your life. Not just on Easter, but in every single day. So people have one of two responses. He can either, they can be either indifferent to him or he can be king in their life or like the Pharisees and like Pilate in the story that we read at 830, they can feel threatened by him. They can be threatened by the fact that Jesus, once he comes in, uh, once he rules and reigns, that, that he can turn your life upside down. And some people don't want us to respond to that very well. They don't like the fact that, that Jesus can turn their life upside down and all the things that they're holding on to, they don't necessarily want to let go of those things. And because of that, they, they see that, I don't know if I want to surrender to this Jesus completely and fully because he's going to wreck my life. And there's a lot of people that, that feel threatened by Jesus. But I told them, I said, man, look, the, the reality is once he comes in and wrecks your life, man, when he puts the pieces back together, when he reassembles your life after he's, after he's smashed it and broken it to pieces, after he puts it back together, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is what it means to be a new creation. This is what it means to be put back together in a way that only God can. I understand now, and the things that I used to desire and used to love, I don't have a desire for those things now because Jesus Christ has put me back together and made me a new creation. I have been born again. I am brand new. And that's what happens when you actually allow him to be king in your life. You see, whether you acknowledge it or not, he is king. You, you don't have to, in, in this day and time, you don't have to say, Jesus is king for me. You don't have to raise your hand and say that. You know why? Because one day when you're face to face with Jesus, he'll still be king. One day when you're standing there and he's looking you in your eyes and he's searching your heart for who he is in your life, he's still king. Now, he may not be king to you, but he's still king. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's a king above all kings, that there are no kings above him. Like everybody bows down to Jesus. And you too, one day when you stand before him, you will have no other response than to bow down before him regardless of whether you did it in this life or not. He is still king. As a matter of fact, this guy that we've been studying, his word, his gospel, Matthew, his primary focus and his primary responsibility uh, in his own mind is, is to show Jesus as king, to show the fact that he is king. Each one of the gospel writers portrays Jesus from a different perspective. And for Matthew, he wants to show Jesus as king. And that's what we've been studying here for the past few weeks. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We've been talking about, at, the, at our 830 service, we were talking about the fact that 
Jesus went through this three-phase trial by the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, and the fact that they found him guilty of blasphemy for saying he's the son of God. They said, you can't say that. Nobody can say that. Nobody can say that they are God or they belong to God or they are the son of God. You can't say that. And Jesus was just simply telling them the truth, right? Jesus couldn't lie because he was God. He couldn't, he couldn't lie. That would be sin. Jesus couldn't sin. He lived a perfect life. So the only thing that could cause him to go and be crucified and punished would be for him to tell the truth, but everybody to perceive it as a lie. And that's exactly what happened. He said he was a son of God. Nobody believed him. They said that he blasphemed God by saying something that was against God. And before you know it, he's hanging on the cross. He's undergoing first a a trial by the Sanhedrin and uh, and then a trial by the Roman governor Pilate, which is what we talked about a little while ago. And here he is. He's been accused, not necessarily by Pilate. Pilate's like, I don't care what you do with this guy. Pilate's indifferent to this guy, really. The only thing he wants to do is calm down the crowd because they're raising a ruckus and they want him dead. They're screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And I, I told them at the 830 service, you know, Jesus laid down his life for people that reject him. Jesus laid down his life for the Pharisees that convinced the other people to crucify Jesus to scream, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus laid down his life for people like Pilate, who was indifferent to him. They didn't really care, wanted to wash their hands of him. Jesus died for, for people like the, the, uh, the people that were there crying, crucify him, crucify him. They rejected Jesus, even though a few days earlier they'd been crying out for him to save him and for them to save us, save us, is what they said when they cried out, Hosanna. And here... Jesus goes to the cross for those people because he says this when he's hanging on the cross right before he dies. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They simply need to turn toward Jesus. If they were to acknowledge Jesus, I don't care if you're a Pharisee. I don't care if you're Pilate or Herod or any of the characters played in the, in the Bible. I, I don't care if you're any one of those. If they were to turn towards Jesus and acknowledge him as Savior, then they could have been saved too because Jesus died for each and every one of them in their awful, wretched state that they were in, just like he died for each and every one of us in our wretched, awful state that we were in. But they felt threatened by Jesus. And as a matter of fact, they come to, G- come to uh, Pilate to talk about this. They're still trying to contain Jesus. <laughs> it's really hard to, to contain Jesus when he's God. You'll see that in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 62. It says this, The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone that he is raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be, the, uh, we'll be worse off than we were at first. <laughs> Pilate replied, take guards and secure it as best you can because So they seal the tomb and post the guards to protect it. So here's what's happened. They're trying to contain Jesus. You can't can't squelch the name of Jesus. I don't care if you're Oprah or Bill Maher or uh, Barack Obama. I don't care. You can't squelch the name of Jesus. Jesus is there. He's real and he's, he's present in this world. 
Now, there, there are forever going to be people in this world proclaiming the name of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' name, he will continue to raise up preachers and teachers and Sunday school teachers and, and people that are youth workers and they're willing to say that Jesus Christ is king and you cannot contain that. We will not be stopped and we will not be shut down because Jesus is king and there's enough of us here that recognize that and want to proclaim it from the rooftops that you can't squelch Jesus. You can't lock him in a tomb. You can't seal him off so that nothing uh, will come out of there so that Jesus' name will not go forth. You just can't do it. They feel threatened by him. The, the, the Sanhedrin that goes, Pilate, you got to do something, man. You got to close off the tomb. We got to put a big rock in front of there. We got to do something because if those disciples come in there and try to steal his body, then, man, we're going to be in bad, bad shape. Nobody's going to believe us. We are going to be in real bad shape. They're trying to squelch the name of Jesus, trying to close it off, seal it off. You know, and I know, some 2,000 years later, you can't do that. It don't work. Uh, you know, people can try to mask Easter by, by putting a lot of stuff on top of it, but he's still Jesus, and he was still resurrected, and we still celebrate it, and there's still people going to church, and there's still people reading God's Word, and there's still people praying and acknowledging who Jesus is on Easter Sunday, more so than they do any other time of the year, and it is like, you just, you can't help it. Jesus is here, and he's here to stay, and you're not going to be able to put a lid on him. It's not going to happen. They feel threatened by him, so they say, well, we've got to go and seal off the tomb. We've got to go close him up. It's a good plan, right? Yeah, you're right. It doesn't work. Matthew chapter 28 says this. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. These ladies are on their way out to anoint the body of Jesus. Um, they... they probably don't know this can be hard for them to get in if the tomb's sealed up so they're just going out there to anoint the body of Jesus I think based on what we know about these ladies that, that, that were with Jesus and um, and the fact that they followed Jesus around and cared so deeply for Jesus I think even if they couldn't have got in there to anoint his body that probably they probably would have just stayed outside the tomb and just wept and mourned and and just wanted to be close to Jesus I think that women in general probably respond more to the graveside like this than, than men do. I think, I think men probably have a little bit different perspective on things. But, but these women, they wanted to be physically close to his body. They wanted to be in close proximity to the last place they knew Jesus to be. So that's why they went to the tomb that day. They just wanted to be close to him. And even though Pilate and the, and the Pharisees are trying to seal him off, you know, they... It didn't really matter to them, even if they could get in there or not. They just wanted to be close to Jesus. You know, sometimes I just need to be close to Jesus. You know, after I've been through something, can you imagine how difficult this must have been after seeing Jesus? I mean, he made you know, lame people able to walk and blind people able to see and people had leprosy. Man, they were cleansed all of a sudden and made new. And I mean, he was raising people from the dead. You know, and here they are, they're watching this man being beaten and, and the flesh ripped off his body and they're seeing crowns of thorns put on his head so that he's bleeding and just pouring blood profusely across his face and they have plucked the beard from his face so that he's just unrecognizable as a human being and, and this must have been a very traumatic situation for them. I can't imagine, they must have been devastated. This is a man we were so close to and we, we touched him and we held his hand and, and we were just near to him and he taught us and he told us about the kingdom of heaven and how awesome it must have been to have been in the presence of the living God right there. And then they watched him hang on that cross. 
I can't imagine how devastating that must have been and how much their heart was aching and how much their heart was breaking from what they had witnessed and the fact that their friend, their Savior, their Messiah, their King was gone. And they were just hurting. You know what they wanted to do when they were hurting? They wanted to be close to Jesus. You know what you need to do when you're hurting? You need to be close to Jesus. Uh, you know, you know. Th- this is. Let me tell you something. You know what Jesus said? I, this makes me fired up. Yeah, if I could do a backflip off this thing, I would tell you. I would do it. I mean, I would, wouldn't tell you about it, but I would do it, and it would land in the water and be a big splash. But listen to listen to this. His disciples are there at the Last Supper. We're, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper before we leave here. Don't leave. You've got to get some juice and you've got to get a cracker. It's good. So, we got, so Jesus is there with his boys and they're hanging out. And it is like the last time we're going to have a meal together and things are good, right? Everybody's like, yes, this is good. And Jesus, he breaks up the party. He's like the biggest party pooper in the world. He goes, hang on a second. got to go away. And they're like, whoa, hang on there. JC, we got a problem with that. I, I really like being with you because you are really cool to be around. And like we never go hungry around here. There's like always five loaves and two fishes. And it doesn't matter how many of us there are. We got something to eat. And you keep touching people and they keep coming to life. And I really want to keep doing this thing because this is really good. We've been doing this for about three years now. And I'm very excited about what's going on here. And Jesus is like, that's good. I got to go away. And they're like, what? No, That's not good, Jesus. You don't understand. That's not good. He said, no, it is good. He said, it is good that I may go. And I can imagine they're like, I mean, and Peter, he goes, man, wherever you're going, I'm going too. It don't matter where you're going. He said, where I'm going, you can't go, Peter. He says, it is so much better that I go. This is what he says. He said, that way the comforter can come. That the Holy Spirit can come and he can dwell inside of you. He said, you think it was good walking beside me every single day. Wait till I live inside of you every single day. You wait till the Holy Spirit comes and transforms you and speaks to you and tells you about the things of God every single day in a way that I've been doing on the outside. He's going to do it on the inside. It is better that I go. Woo! You know, I know y'all are getting hot out there because, like, the heat's on. And it's about 95 degrees in here, and that's okay. It's hotter up here because of these lights, but I still got goosebumps. I mean, it is, it is good stuff, man. It is good stuff. Jesus said, it is going to be better when I come to live inside of you. So what does that say about when you're hurting, when you're crushed, when you're aching inside? You tap into that Holy Spirit because he's right here. He can't get any closer than that. He can't get any closer than that. Man, that's why I tell you all the time, you got to invite him in. you got to let him say, he's got to be Lord in your life. He's got to rule and reign in your life so that you can be close to him. You can say, Jesus, I need the Holy Spirit. I need you to be there with me every single step that I take. When, the, when Peter's preaching to everybody and they're saying, what are we supposed to do with all this information? Peter says, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. You know what you need to do if you're not a Christ follower? Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. If there's any question about what steps you need to take in order to follow God, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what to do with today's message, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. These women, they just want to be close to Jesus. 
In chapter 28, verse 2, it says this, Suddenly there was a great earthquake. There was two earthquakes. One when, when Jesus was crucified, and the earth was literally groaning with the fact that, that Jesus had died. And, and there was an earthquake. The earth shook. And darkness came, and the earth was just overwhelmed with the fact that, that the Son of God had died. And here we see another earthquake. and says, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and fell into a dead faint. So here's what's happening. There's no indication necessarily that, that, that Mary and the other Mary were there when this necessarily happened. It looks like that they were most likely on their way. And what happened was an earthquake came and shook the whole earth you know they tried to seal Jesus up in a tomb but they couldn't do it because even even the rocks will cry out so to speak if you try to put a lid on Jesus even the rocks will cry out and here indeed the rocks are crying out and they they shake and it rolls the stone away from in front of the tomb and these this angel comes and just sits there and hangs out I look I I love Jesus, and, and I'm a Christ follower, and I, I believe that I'll go to heaven one day. When I get there, I want to talk to this dude. You know what I mean? I want to talk to this angel. I want to be like, man, what was that like? You know, <laughs> like, what were you thinking when you were there? You know, like, you were there, and, and you got to tell the Marys that Jesus was gone. What was that like? You know, and, and, and these, these two women, they, they come up, and they probably see this, this scene, which is these two <laughs> Two Roman guards are just, they fell out, man. They're just like, it's too much. The, we, the earth like shook and the stone rolled away and there was an angel there. And by the way, angels are not like these little cherubs that you see in the, you know, Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel, whatever, little fruity guys. They, they're like strong, victorious warriors. And every time you see an angel, there's oftentimes you will see them say, don't be afraid. Because I believe these are some intimidating dudes. And when they came, man, they came with force. And you knew who they were. And it just like completely blew your mind. And these guys saw this angel and they fell out dead. They're like, boom, they're gone. And here you see this angel. He's, he's sitting there. It says, the angel rolled aside the stone and sat on it. Let me tell you something. The angel didn't let Jesus out. Did you know that? The angel didn't come and roll the stone aside so that Jesus could get out. No, he was gone already. He had already neatly folded his grave clothes and laid them there. And he folded them so that everybody would know that he was coming back. You know that that's the reason the grave clothes were folded, right? Because in Jewish tradition, if you, if you folded your napkin before you left, that meant that you were coming back to your seat, so save that spot for me. Jesus folded the grave clothes in order that we know that he's coming back, that he's, he's not gone forever, that he'll be gone for a little while, and then he'll come back. So he folded the grave clothes instead of leaving them wadded up in the corner like we do some of our laundry. He said, I'm coming back, and I'm leaving the grave clothes folded so you know that I'm coming back. And the angel, the angel came and rolled the stone back, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that everybody else could get in and see what had really happened and see those folded grave clothes and see the fact that Jesus, our king, is risen and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Pilate no more put him on the cross than anything in the world. You know who put, it, put it, Jesus on the cross? Jesus did. 
Jesus put himself on the cross. He said so, uh, when, and I talked about this earlier in our earlier service. He said so. He prophesied. He said, look, the Passover's coming in two days, and the Son of Man's got to be crucified. He, he, he put himself on the cross. He's the one that said, I've got to go to the cross. Just like he's the one that resurrected himself from the dead, he said, I've got to come out. I've got to come out, and I've got to let everybody know that I'm coming back. And the stones rolled away. And the Marys, I imagine when they get there, it's pandemonium, man. Like, I mean, I would be just mind blown. I'm, I might be one to faint. Because check this out, man. The angel then spoke to the women in verse 5. Don't be afraid. Once again, an angel always telling, don't be afraid. Look, I know I'm intimidating. I know that I look like I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to kill you. It's okay. I'm on your side, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. I, he says, I know. He isn't here. He isn't here. He isn't here. The angel doesn't say he isn't here. He says he isn't here. He isn't here. There's an exclamation point because he said he isn't here. There is no place that Jesus is that's right here. He's somewhere else and he's coming again. But right now he's not here. Woo. He isn't here. Exclamation point. You can, I don't know, underline that, highlight it, whatever you want to. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Once again, Jesus put himself on the cross because he said it was going to happen. Jesus took himself out of the grave just because he said it was going to happen. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was fulfilling his own words. He was doing all the things that he told everybody he was going to do. And this angel comes to testify to these ladies about it. He says, come and see where the body was lying. <laughs> it's not there. It's not there. But then, immediately, so they come and they see, and immediately it says, listen, and now go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. <laughs> That's us, right? So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you recognize the fact that he is the resurrection and the life, that, that you're frightened initially, but then you have this great sense of joy that also comes with the fact that you have a resurrected life in you. I have a good friend of mine that's a pastor of Iron City Baptist Church, and he, he has said this before. He says that, he says that uh, the greatest moments in your life come immediately after you are terrified. He said, if you think about it, when you have a child, you're scared out of your mind, and you don't know what to do with yourself. He said, then immediately thereafter, there's this great sense of joy that you couldn't have even wrapped your mind around before. When you get married, some of you are more terrified than others, admittedly. But a lot of us were terrified right before we get married. And then you, you say, I do. And you, you lock arms with somebody for the rest of your life. And you are committed and faithful. And you say, oh, wow, what joy. What joy, what peace. When you surrender your heart and life to Christ, it can be terrifying. For many of us, it is terrifying. For me, it was scary. And I didn't even know all the things that it meant. But immediately after, there was a sense of joy that I could not describe. When I talked to John about surrendering his life to, to Christ um, back on Wednesday, he said, man, there's this overwhelming sense of relief and peace and joy. I cannot explain it. They were frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran into him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. 
Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. You know what Jesus said immediately after they saw him? The resurrected Jesus. I mean, he's come back from the dead. Uh, he, he, he's, the stone's rolled away. He's folded the grave clothes, and he, he's there. You know what he says? We got something to do. He didn't say, hey, y'all go back home. Y'all chill out and hang out. It's all good now. I'm, I'm risen from the dead. Uh, the, the, you know, the grave clothes are folded, and I will be back one day. But y'all just go, and y'all hang out for a little bit and relax. Because I know y'all been under some turmoil, and it's really rocked your world, and you really don't know exactly what to do right now. So y'all just go and hang out at the house, and don't worry about it anymore. He didn't say that. He says, no, I've already given you instructions. The angel told you, go and, and meet me. You go and you tell the disciples. You go quickly and you go tell the disciples that they got to meet me too because there's work to be done. He doesn't delay. He doesn't wait. There's no, there's no period of time where he's just hanging out and things are okay and we can all just breathe this easy sigh of relief. No, Jesus says it's time to go to work. It's time to do something. It's time to go and tell everybody that Jesus is risen. It's not just time to go and sit on our hands. It's time to go and tell everybody what has happened. So if we go on down to verse 16 of chapter 28, it tells his disciples that they've got work to do. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. So they, they were told they're supposed to go, so they go. Going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Of course, you can't help but to worship a risen Savior. They thought he was dead. They thought he was gone. They thought they would never see him again. And here they are in the presence of an almighty God, his resurrected body in pure and perfect form. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given to you. And be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So we wrap up Matthew's gospel with this word from Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Uh, we wrap up the, the, the gospel of Matthew with a command. He says you got to do something. He says you got to go out and you got to tell people what, have ha what has happened. You got to tell them the things that I've told you and, and, and you've got to disciple them. You've got to make disciples yourself. You've got to do something so that you're pouring into other people just like I have poured into you. You see, ultimately, Jesus was the greatest example. For his disciples, what he was is he was, he was at the head and he was showing them, this is what you've got to do, man. A lot of people, they, they see Jesus and they, they recognize who Jesus is and they see him as a great teacher and they see him as all of these things, but they don't want to do anything. They just want to sit there and say, Jesus is good and he's great and he's God's son and yay, let's celebrate. And I would say, that is good. Yes, you celebrate, but you do what Jesus did. You do what the disciples did. You take it to the next level. You, you, you go and you go out. And when you go out, I know you'll be scared, and I know you'll be full of fear, and I know you'll think that you can, and you're incompetent, and you don't know enough about the Bible, and you don't know enough about the things I've taught you, but I'm telling you, I will be with you. I'm telling you that there is a Holy Spirit that is going to dwell within you, and He's going to be your guide. He is going to tell you what to say when you feel like you don't know what to say. When you live the resurrected life, when you live a life 
that is free from the burden of worrying about eternity. When you live a life where you have got eternity in the hands of God and you have got eternity confirmed that you will be with him. Man, why are we just sitting here? Why, why are we just sitting here not doing anything? Man, we should be in the parking lot of Walmart screaming it from the top of our cars. You know what I mean? Like, it is good to be in here and celebrate Jesus and celebrate the fact that he's risen. And I want to raise my hands in worship too. But I won't just stop at that. I won't just leave it in here. I got to take it out there. There's a world out there that needs to hear this message. There's a world out there that needs to, to know this truth. There's a world out there that is hurting and in pain. And they're trying to deny Jesus and trying to seal him up or trying to remain indifferent to him. You know, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He's the God of the universe. He made everything we know of, all of creation in six days. But he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us. He transforms us in order that we might transform others, in order that we might be able to, to come into somebody's life and intervene into somebody's life and tell them, you know what you need? You need this thing that I have, this, this, this information that I have, and it is about a gospel that is so, so true. It's so crazy sounding to you. I know that it sounds crazy, but it's true. And if you, if you let it penetrate your life, it will wreck your life, but it will put it back together in a way that you can't imagine right now. Jesus said, you got to do something. you, you got to do something with what I've given you. And you walked around with me. You saw the things that I did. It was a testimony to the fact that I was the son of God. He said, but, but I told you some stuff too. I told you what the kingdom of heaven was like. I told you what it was like to pursue uh, God the Father. I told you what it was like to, to, to make him king in your life. I told you all these things. Now you got to go and do something and tell somebody else. I have a, a friend of mine, I, I actually um, performed his funeral before Simple Church ever started. He told me that God had called him to, uh, to help me, and uh, he passed away before we ever had our first church service. He said that he searched for God. He told me, I'm going to share with you his testimony. He told me this. He said, he said Kenny, I, I thought that the reason I was a Christian was because I was raised in the South, that I had always heard about Jesus, that there's a church on every street corner, uh, that, that I believed in Jesus just because I never heard anything else. So he said, I went on this spiritual journey trying to figure out who I was and who God was and all these kinds of things. And he said, and I had to read, he said, I read books on, on being a Wiccan. I, I read books on Hinduism, Islam. Uh, you know, I read all these things. He said, and then one day, he said, he said I, I, I had to read the Bible too, of course, if I was really going to give it a fair shot and look at all these different things and, and, see, um, and see what I really believed. He said, I was going to have to give it a fair shot. He said, so I was reading one day, and he said, I'm sitting there looking, and I go, my God's not dead. My God's not dead. He said all these other religions, whether it's Buddha or Muhammad or, or Joseph Smith, it's, it's, they're all dead. My God's not dead. My, and there's been a movie made about it, and the, the newsboys sing a great song about it, and 
all of that, but he said, my God's not dead. And that's who God was to him. He was alive. You see, when Peter responded to Jesus, he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. God, the living God, the real and present and powerful and living God who's, who's here on, in this world and, and ready to change you, he's a living God. And because Jesus was fully God and fully man all at the same time, he's a living God. He's a living God. There is a set of lyrics that are in a song that I like. And I read this at my friend's funeral. I just want to share with this, these lyrics with you. Uh, they're from the song by Phil Wickham, who happens to be one of my favorite artists. It says, uh, when my heart is torn, that's the name of the song. It says, when my heart is torn asunder and my world just falls apart, Lord, you put me back together and lift me up to where you are. There is hope beyond the suffering, joy beyond the tears, peace in every tragedy, love that conquers fear. I have found redemption in the blood of Christ. My body might be dying, but I'm always alive. You have turned mourning to dancing. You have covered me with grace. The struggle here may last a moment, but life with you will last always. There is hope beyond the suffering, joy beyond the tears, peace in every tragedy, love that conquers fear. I have found redemption in the blood of Christ. My body might be dying, but I'm always alive. When the age of death is over and this world has been reborn, I'll be there beside my Savior. This is our grace and rich reward. There is hope beyond the suffering, joy beyond the tears, peace in every tragedy, love that conquers fear. I have found redemption in the blood of Christ. My body might be dying, but I'll always be alive. Whether you go there or he comes here, you'll be face to face with the Son of the living God. And he'll ask you the question, he'll ask you the question, who do you say that I am? Is he alive? Is he risen in your life? Is he got a prominent place in your life? Or are you indifferent? Or, or are you serving him in a way other than what he calls us to do, which is to go and tell and, and make disciples? I don't know where you are in your situation. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know him. And, and you can't go and tell because, because the, the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell inside you and you can't go and you can't tell people because you know that you don't know him. If that's you today, will you give your life to Christ? Will you say, I surrender. I surrender everything that I am because I know that you are the son of the living God. That you are the Messiah. That you came to save and you came to transform. And if I will surrender my life to you, you'll transform me and put me back together in a way that I can't imagine. If that's you, I pray that you wouldn't leave this place before you do that. Come and talk to me. I, I, I can talk to you. I will stay here till. 10 o'clock tonight if it required it for you to come to know Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We're here to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen. But if you need to understand what it means to die first, then come and let's, let's understand death so that you can know what it means to experience eternal life through Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and the life. 
If you are a Christ follower, you say, man, I'm just not doing what Jesus called me to do. I am not making disciples. I am not committed to doing what Jesus has called me to do. Repent. Repent and say, God, I want to do it your way. I want to do it the way you have said. This great commission that you have given me, I want to sign up for that army, and I want to be in that military that has commissioned these officers to go and make disciples. And then if you're just hurting, if you're somebody here and you say, man, I'm overwhelmed, I'm burdened, I, I, I'm just I'm sick to my stomach with this aching inside of me. Will you just tap into that Holy Spirit that you've got? If you're a Christ follower, you've got that it, that it lives within you. And Jesus said, it's going to be better when I come to live within you. Will, you. will you just listen to that and stop listening to the world? Will you just listen to that and let God transform you through his powerful words? And stop listening to what everybody else is telling you? Will you do that? We're going to celebrate resurrection today with the, the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to do. Um, I, I'm going to have our men to come forward and start passing out. Um, we do it very simply here at Simple Church. We do a, 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 we've got a little cup and a little piece of bread that's all together in one little contained thing. So we've had some people get confused about this before, so I'll explain it to you. You peel off the top and there's bread in there. You peel off the bottom and there's juice in there. You drink, you drink the juice, you eat the bread. Don't do, the, don't do it the other way around. But we do it this way. We want to give you a chance to celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, to commune with God. Um, we, we want to do it in, in a personal way. What I do is I, I pray for it, and then what we do is, is you take it when you're ready, okay? So uh, if the guys will go ahead and start passing out now, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 26. So we continue to, to stay in Matthew chapter, Matthew will read from chapter 26 about Jesus when he was there with uh, his disciples. It says in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26, it says this. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. And he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them each and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is what he says. He says, we'll get to celebrate this together one day. We'll get to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, you'll get to commune with me in person one day. One day that you and I will be together and we'll be close to one another and you'll actually get to celebrate what I did for you in the presence of the Lord Almighty. Can you even imagine what that will be like? Can you even imagine what it would be like to be in the presence of the Lord and celebrate and commune with God in such a personal way that he is right there in your presence? And he says, this is my blood that was poured out for you. As he hung on the cross as he was there fulfilling uh, the, the desires of his father, as he was there committing his life for you, as he was committing his life to heaven, every single drop of blood that poured out was poured out for you and poured out for uh, his obedience to his father and his body. His body that was beaten in the flesh was torn off, off the, the sides of, 
of his ribs and his back and the, the crown of thorns that were placed into his body. And it just poured with blood. That was all done for you. And, and even when, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew what was coming and he knew the fact that, that, that he was going to have to suffer greatly, so much so that he, he was sweating drops of blood from his body. His body for you. So let, let me pray. Let, let me ask God to just be heavy in this place. That his Holy Spirit would overwhelm our hearts. You, you take the Lord's Supper when you are ready. When you feel like God is, is close to you and you've repented of your sin. And you just want to say, God, I want to be close to you. If you are not a Christian, then all you'll be doing is drinking some juice and eating a cracker. But if you are a Christian... This represents the body that was, that was put on a cross for you. And it represents the blood that was shed for you. And the cross represents power to those that are Christians. It represents that even though Pilate looked like he was the one sending Jesus to the cross, Jesus said, I'm already going to the cross. And, and just as Jesus sent himself to the cross, he resurrected himself from the grave. And he did that. He did that because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And we can celebrate that through him, through his blood that was shed and through his body that was hung on a cross for us. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your powerful word. Lord, I just pray as we, we get ready to, to take the Lord's Supper, as we get ready to commune with you, God, that this would mean something so deeply in our lives. God, that we wouldn't just take it complacently, God, that we would repent of any sin that's in our lives, that we would uh, just turn towards you and be close to you in this time. Lord, we thank you for that body that was placed on the cross for each and every one of us uh, to heal us of our sins, past, present, and future. It will simply believe and put our trust in you that indeed you did do that for us. God, and for that precious blood that was shed. God, the, the, blood, the blood that was shed, uh, Lord, from the crown of thorns that were placed on the head, the, the blood that was shed from the beard that was plucked from Jesus' face, the blood that was shared, shed from the, the, the flesh that was ripped off his body. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, we would just recognize the sacrifice that was made for every one of us. God, thank you so much for this time to be able to just commune with you and celebrate with you through this Lord's Supper. God, be glorified through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel